When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hi there, this is The Athletic Football Podcast Weekend Preview, and it is the return of the Premier League. Well, with me for this week's episode, I'm delighted to say Nick Miller is back. How are you, Nick? Uh, yeah, a bit tired, but all right. All right. Tiredness because of? Mm, overworking, pressures of modern life, the, you know, the weight of existence. An expectation. I guess so, yeah. I don't know who's expecting things of me, but, um, but I'm feeling the weight of it nonetheless but you always deliver, and it's great to have you on the show. John McKenzie is also here. John, how are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Yes, how are you? I'm very good. Before we started recording, you told me a very, very interesting stat, and I wanted to have it on record about scoring goals and how one should do that. Tell me. Yeah, since the 21-22 season, this is a stat from a guy called Dominic Haynes, who is a lecturer at UCFB. Um, Knows his stuff. Knows his stuff. He's been individually gathering shot data in in the last three, four seasons. And in that time, 60% of goals have been scored with the first touch. So you're much more likely to score with a first touch than you are of of, of any other subsequent touch. Love that. I like it. Jacob Whitehead is back as well. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. Although I'm not feeling sartorially enough dressed looking at you in a smart shirt and I'm in tracky bottoms in, in the studio. I mean, it's not really good enough for me. It's the second time today someone said Yeah, I know, but I'm getting the the feeling that people are remarking on it because it's the exception rather than the rule. I probably should just be a bit more relaxed. Well, I'd say you're at one end of a scale and I'm at the other end. So maybe both of us just need to kind of give in to peer pressure and go for a jeans and hoodie. For anyone that's listening to this, you're listening, you can't see it, but you can actually see what we are wearing. If you're watching on YouTube, which is which is great if you, if you want to see what we're wearing. Um, <laughs> this week, the winter break means that it is a halved match week. So we have five games this weekend, and that makes a fixture formation very, very simple indeed. Like a five-a-side team, it is one, two, two from Friday to Sunday. Would you like to hear what the fixtures are? Yes, please. Here they are. On Friday evening, ooh, what a curtain raiser to the weekend. It is the basement battle, Burnley against Luton. On Saturday, lunchtime, probably the most well-heeled derby of them all, Chelsea against Fulham. Then on Saturday evening, it is the fixture which is now known as Oil Classico. Uh, It is Newcastle against Manchester City. On Sunday evening, we have Everton. Three defeats on the spin against second place Aston Villa. Life is good for Unai Emery's side. And then late on Sunday, 4.30, it is Manchester United. Only one win in five against Spurs. Four wins out of five. And that is where we will start the show. 
So we're going to concentrate on Manchester United against Spurs in a moment's time. But just to reflect back on the fixture formation, obviously it is a five-a-side lineup. What would be your your preferred lineup in five-a-side? Nick, the, do you the, bother? The five-a-side games I play in, there is absolutely no formation at no. all. It's very free form. Yeah, it's kind of jazz five-a-side rather than you know, anything more structured. Nice, John. Yeah, I'm more of a fan of the one-one-two-one formation. So you have a, a central centre back, and then you have two wider players, and then a, a player in front. And the beauty of that is you can you can have the two wide players, one of them dropping in when the other one goes forward, and you're always giving yourself a bit of cover. But I always think in five aside, the the goal is that you can shoot from almost anywhere on the pitch, right? So you always need to have a central player to make sure you've got some kind of pressure on uh, central shots because they're more dangerous. But you also have to have an agreement that one player is going to stay at the back. And that's not often what you want to do in five-a-side. I suppose it? so. You have to judge the level of the players if they really want to win or if they just want to have fun, you know. Football can be about both. Yeah, I'm, I'm more on the, the fun. fun. Yeah. More on fun the fun. And, fun and I'm scale, not. I, yeah. No fun ever when I'm on a football pitch. Mm. Jacob, are you bothered about formations when you're playing five-a-side? Couldn't care less. <laughs> Brilliant. Let's get on with Manchester United against Spurs. It was 2-0 to Tottenham, you'll remember, in the reverse fixture, which took place on August the 19th. Two teams... Looking pretty active in the January transfer window. Let's start there. Tottenham, they're making moves. Let's get the assessment of the moves that they have made, first of all. Timo Werner. We did a special show earlier on this week on the Athletic Football Podcast. We had Seb Stafford-Bloor in the studio, Liam Toomey, and also Jack Pitt-Brook, just to analyse whether it's going to be a good signing or not. John, what's your your take on it? Do Do you fancy this one? I think it's important to distinguish between um, deals and and signings. Um, so I think this is a good deal for Spurs. They've got a player with an option on loan with an option. Um, they've got they're going to have the chance to not only cover Hyungman Son when when he's away, but they've also got the option of essentially trying out Werner within the system they have. And if it doesn't work out, they can send him back. And the option they have seems to be a pretty affordable option. So it's, I think it's a very good deal mm. in terms of the signing itself the questions are whether or not this is the sort of profile of player that that they need it feels to me as though Werner is is one of a, a profile that they have a number of already um, and so in terms of whether or not we think it will work out that's a different question entirely but I can understand why the 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 recruitment department at Spurs would see this as a good signing and therefore go for it I didn't know where you were going with the differentiation between deal and signing, but now when you've said it, I, I think, yeah, it makes complete sense. Um, when we did that show earlier on in the, in the week, Jack Pitbrook basically called Timo Werner a banter player. Um, <laughs> of course he did. Do you agree, do you, do you agree with that in terms of um, that this is, this is doomed to fail? Or do you think, actually, no, this makes perfect sense? And in this environment, this Tottenham environment, is more likely to work for him. Yeah, I mean, you sort of have a little bit more faith in him going to Spurs than anyone else, partly because, there's, as kind of John mentioned, there's not a huge amount of pressure on him individually. He's not being signed to kind of solve a problem. Mm. He's being signed because, well, they can, and he's he might be quite decent cover. And also, you know, Ange Postacoglu has managed to get a tune out of a few players who previous Spurs managers haven't. So, you know, Lo Celso being the, the kind of obvious one. So you can understand... Uh, it, the, the optimism of a lot of uh, Spurs fans I've seen is quite sort of heartwarming, really, that they 
they think, well, yes, this this guy hasn't been good for about four years, but maybe he could be good, good for us. They have a new um, German striker who may well play at Old Trafford. We, we don't know yet. Um, and they also have a new Romanian defender in Radu Dragosan. Are you an expert on Mr. Dragosan, Jacob? Sounds like sort of Pokemon character to an extent when you <laughs> yeah. put it like that. But uh, no, I am not, although... Uh, the deal does seem to make a lot of sense for Spurs in that. The is. deal or the signing? Oh, actually, I correct myself. I'd say signing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. That sounds good. The signing uh, makes a lot of sense for me. It's a player who very much fits Postacoglu's system with an eye on the future, and it's an area in which they do need depth, especially as we see there's kind of this churn of the squad going over, kind of as we're speaking at the moment, as Eric Dyer's kind of on the way out towards Bayern Munich and it's just quite nice to see them be all quite put together and have two deals done <laughs> by January the 11th. I, it's it's going to change the way that I talk about transfers and I'm going to be talking about transfers a lot during the January transfer window. The deal and the signing, it's important. Oh, just before we, we actually ask again about um, Dragosan because there's, there's something interesting that was said about him. On Werner, we put out a poll on Spotify this week Asking if Werner is going to be a hit. And 60% of voters said yes. Do you know how many of those voters were Spurs fans? I don't. Because it's it's a safe space for people just to engage <laughs> in, the, in the poll. They don't have to be out Spurs fans. They no. Can be, you know. No. They, they don't. They, they don't have to tell us anything about their no, private lives. It reminds me of the um, Arrested Development meme. You know, the one where they say, "Has it worked for anyone before?" And it's like, "No, but it could work for us." Yes, that tends to be the way that most fans, I think, think about signings. If, if it's a player who is sort of being perennially mercurial, it's like this is going to be this is going to be the time it works for us. Well, we we will see. I'll ask about Eric Dyer in a moment because I just wanted to speak about him. But on Dragosan, funny quote from his agent, and he said. We can't believe we turned down Bayern Munich. Uh, Radu had given his word to Spurs and chose to respect this. We're still a little bit mind-blown about it all, which I thought was a, a good quote. I don't know if it's sort of trying to sort of big up big up the negotiations and, and big up the player a little bit, but it is interesting to have turned down Bayern Munich to come to Spurs, and it's a little bit old school as well. I, I'd given them my word. It's a bit sort of... Getting a you know getting in a car up the M1 to meet with Sir Alex Ferguson or Graham Taylor or an old school manager and saying no you know we, we did this the, the old school way but fair play he's he's stuck to his guns. This is the same agent who before the deal was even fully announced was saying that he expects him to play for Real Madrid one day right so <laughs> I'm all for the whoever this guy is we <laughs> it feels like we haven't had like a really like. Uh, obnoxiously gobby agent yeah. in, in the... I was listening to something where they were talking about... I can't remember what the guy's name is, the Yaya Torre's former agent, who the guy who complained about his birthday cake and made him look absurd. We haven't had one of those guys for a little while. Mm. So, yeah, whoever this guy is, I'm all for it. It's a nice dynamic, isn't it? I quite like the way that this quote doesn't necessarily make the agent look that good. It kind of looks as if it's accidentally happened to him. And it's like, oh, wow, wow, yeah. Tottenham, here we go. Well, here we go. Let's ride by the seat of our pants now, boys. Like, yeah, well, to be honest, however much um, recruitment at times can be very well planned and executed perfectly, a lot of it during the transfer window is a little bit haphazard, a little bit WhatsApp-based and a little bit sort of a little bit crazy. And I suppose you could... You could look at Eric Dyer heading to, to Bayern Munich in, in that sort of vein. It, it's a great opportunity for him. It seems to make sense, but it's probably not something that we would have predicted. 
No, it's, I mean, if you were being quite harsh about it, you could say it's a sort of failing up example because he's not he, subject of one of the more cutting quotes of the um, of the season from Postacoglu last weekend when, I can't remember who it was that got injured, it was Ben Davis. Yeah. And someone said to Postacoglu, with Davis injured, can you afford to, uh, to get rid of Eric Dyer? And there was a pause and he said, yes. Yeah. Showed his real sort of ruthless side. Yeah, though, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, there's this kind of idea that when he first arrived that he was this kind of cuddly, avuncular figure. But, uh, you know, I think as we've seen, he has uh, certainly has the capacity to not be that. Yeah. He uses the word mate in various different <laughs> ways, I think. As a full stop, I yes. think. Yeah. yeah, exactly. In terms of Manchester United, they've they've said goodbye to, to Jadon Sancho. He's headed back to Borussia Dortmund. Is that something that that makes sense for all parties? And does it make you think the fact that they've only done it until the end of the season that maybe they haven't necessarily got as much confidence in Eric Ten Hag as they do Jadon Sancho? I, I noticed on the running order it says a good deal. So you see, you're already thinking in those terms mm. in, in, in the mm. running order. But yeah, it, it, it does seem like it's a, a good deal for all parties from a, from a business point of view. And that's the distinction that I'm making. You've got a player on your book, so you're, you're not using you spend a lot of money on you have the possibility to send them somewhere else maybe raise their uh, their profile so you can claw back some of the, of the value for that player so it does seem to be uh, a, a good deal ha for whatever reason hasn't worked for him under Eric Ten Hag there's probably I would say tactical slash structural reasons why that might be the case so um, I can understand why you might think send him back to Dortmund where he just had an incredible couple of seasons when he was there uh, and see if he can re reinvigorate the the, the former Jadon Sancho. So that's I think that's the way I'm understanding it. In terms of the short-term nature of it, I don't really know what's going on with the deal, so I wouldn't like to make a comment on that. So. That's the first no comment we've had on uh, <laughs> on, uh, I just on don't, I don't like, I like talking it. about things I've not really thought about and I don't think I'm in a good position to, to comment on that. I just so. like the way the phrasing was quite managerial. Oh, mm. right, yeah, sorry. It's like being in a press conference. Go on, ask do him I need to say difficult Do question. I need to say mate at the end of it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Just to sort of, to get us to move on. I will move on. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> since oh, go on, Nick. Go. On, I just wanted to say so this is the. It's a very early, but it's a, the first step in what could be a, a majestic palindromic career for Jaden Sancho. What we need now is for him to move <laughs> from Dortmund to Manchester City yeah. and then to Watford, Watford yes. to close out his career. To, which there've been there have been a couple. Gigi Buffon. Mm -hmm. Uh, is that just three clubs? It's just one, one yeah, two yeah, clubs, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's five sort of moves. Oh, yeah, like. of course, yeah. yeah. Um, and there, and Andrei Shevchenko as well. But someone on Twitter, someone X, formerly Twitter, sorry, did post a, a, a career path of a player called Justin Gully, who played for Team Wellington in New Zealand, then Wellington Phoenix Reserves, then Wellington Phoenix, then Team Wellington again, then Wellington Phoenix, then Wellington Phoenix Reserve, <laughs> then Team Wellington. It's quite appropriate that he played for Phoenix and it's the cycle of death and rebirth, isn't it? Exactly, there you go. <laughs> I was going to ask you, John, quickly about your sensible transfers video about what Manchester United should do. Obviously, we're talking about outgoings with, with Sancho. Where do you think they should sign and where do you think they will sign? So it's really tricky because there's two things. One, one thing is, is that they're right on the cusp of FFP, so it's unlikely they're going to do anything this window yeah. unless they bring in a loan with, a, with an option or uh, if they sell someone to bring in the funds to, to do that. And there's the possibilities that they can do that, but January is a, it's not, the, it's not the best window to try and, try and make money. It's a notoriously so. difficult month. That's it? right, yeah. So uh, in terms of... What I expect Manchester United, and this is what we did in the Sensible Transfers video on, on the TFO IRL channel, was we said, well, 
looking forward, what are the are the areas where they where they could improve, where they could raise the the, the value, the, the the level of the squad? And the problem then is that they've just been bought out by new owners, or at least the sporting control has been taken over by new owners. We don't know if the, there's going to be a new sporting director in place by next summer, which is when big transfers would likely happen. We don't know if they're even going to have the same manager. So what we did is we identified a couple of positions where you can comfortably raise the, the level of the player in those positions. So we went with the right wing position because the money that was spent on Anthony clearly hasn't, hasn't translated into the sort of level of play that you might want in that position. So we had a look at a few players who could be signed in the, in the right wing position. We actually ended up going for... Actually, I'm not going to tell you. If you want to find out, go and go and watch our video. Uh, and then we looked at the right centre-back spot as well because Man United have quite a, an interesting group of players in, in the centre-back spots. They've got Lisandro Martinez, who, who's you know, a long-term starter, you would think. But then beyond that, there's not really anyone who you'd think is going to be you know, a, a starting player for the next five years. So we, uh, we explored some like, younger centre-back options who would complement Lisandro Martinez as well. OK, um... To the game. We've been talking about transfers a lot, haven't we? We've been infected by the January transfer bug. January? Yeah. Since the season. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, But on the game, um, Spurs, as we mentioned before, in really good form. They can actually go above Arsenal into the top four with a win. Are we thinking that Spurs will continue their run or have we seen anything recently from Manchester United to suggest that they're they're being galvanised by their new sort of football department franchise that has been brought in and it's got everyone a little bit more on message in in some way shape or form I mean I don't think so I mean I think I think by design this is the what Ineos and Jim Radcliffe and Dave Brailsford are doing is going to take a bit of time I yeah. think I think I saw somewhere that the sort of time scale is that they're going to have a long look at everything over about two months which you know is not going to result in short-term you know results and that's a sensible thing to do right which is a very sensible thing to do it's a, it's you know Manchester United are, are a club that desperately needs some kind of you know sensible long-term thinking so mm. in theory it's it's very sensible whether you know whether they will actually manage to make sense of it I have no real idea but in in theory that's the right way to do things I wanted to ask you a question Jacob if I can who would you rather have up front for Manchester United, Hoyland or Richarlison? I would say Hoyland, based partly on his age and his potential. And mm. so if you're wanting to embark on a long-term project, I think that Hoyland's shown a lot of traits since arriving at Manchester United, which are really, really valuable. And his attitude seems spot on. And I mean, I am, I would describe myself as a Richarlison apologist as well. Because of your Everton roots, yeah, I mean, like he—it kind of gets overlooked of how important he was in rescuing Everton from relegation in difficult times. So maybe he would do well amidst the turbulence of Manchester United. But no, I, I would—I would go for Ireland. Now we're going to do our predictions now, and before we do them, before everyone sighs in the room, maybe some of the listeners at home or people watching <laughs> at home on YouTube. But the reason we do predictions is to see if the people in the room know what they're talking about (laughs) and oh god (laughs) we have now or i have now started to actually pay proper attention to the predictions i've written them down and then i can cross-reference with what was said with what happens and i must say i like it because (laughs) what happened last week ahead of the Sunderland newcastle game Ahead of the Arsenal Liverpool game, John, 
I must say, you were correct in predicting that Newcastle were going to win at Sunderland. Uh, Tim Spears and Nick, you were incorrect. Arsenal-Liverpool. Who said 2-0 to Liverpool? Me. John did. Nick, you predicted a, a win for Liverpool. Tim got both of his wrong. Um, but John got it spot on. So I'd just like to say, well done, John. And has that heartened you? And has that made you more of a fan of predictions? Has it made you a bit more competitive <laughs> knowing you, how aggy you are? Do you, do you know what? I, as, I, as those words came out of my mouth last week on the podcast, I was like, why are you saying that? Do you even, do you even believe that? But then, obviously, it, it tended... I, I think I actually contextualised it by saying Liverpool were really good at actually destabling Arsenal and, 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 and reducing their amount of control. I watched that first half and I was like, I was miles off yeah. here. Um, Arsenal are in control. Liverpool have done nothing to destabilise them. But then in the second half, Liverpool made some tactical decisions, which then allowed them to do that. And then they ended up winning 2-0. So half-time, I was worried. Second half, I was like, yeah, had it in the bag. But yeah, I, I didn't have a clue what I was talking about in the podcast. So. Don't say that out loud. Let's concentrate on the predictions for this game. If you've forgotten, we're talking about Manchester United <laughs> against Tottenham. Mm, yes, Jacob? This just feels incredibly chaotic to me. I the, mean, what, the show or the no, game? No, <laughs> right. I was going to say the game, but kind of if you're projecting, then no, feel free. It's, to... <laughs> it's, it's chaos personified. Carry on. Um, yeah, I mean, just in a sense that both these clubs, I mean, it kind of reminds me of a Monty Python sketch. Kind of you've got Postacoglu urging up Romero as he has no limbs left up to the halfway line and Manchester United tripping over their own swords. Uh, Three all. Three all. Three all. Well done, there Jacob. We I like that. a bit gumption. <clears throat> yeah, a bit spicy. Go Jolly good. John? Uh, I'm just going to go on current form and I'll say 2-1 uh, to Spurs. And Nick? I'm gonna, I think Spurs will win, but I agree with Jacob that it's going to be spicy. So I'll go with a, just a little less spice than him and say 3-2 to Spurs. So a two-three. Are you? Do you not do predictions? Is that is that how this works? I we, can do a prediction. Oh yeah. Do you want me to do? A yeah, prediction? I want you to start joining us. Uh, okay, I will put A L down, and I am going to predict it's going to be a three-one win for Tottenham. <laughs> it sounded like you were flipping a coin in your yeah, head. Yeah. There. That seems a, a weird score to do. I'm that. pretty confident what the scoreline is <laughs> going to be. Just don't yeah. know which way. Exactly, exactly. But just a sign as uh, how my mind works as well. I've written down these uh, predictions on my pad, and also I've obviously doodled about my favourite um, band name, which would be John McKenzie and the underlying numbers, <laughs> which um, I would oh, like right. to see you emulate at some point in your life. Is that what right? genre? Sure, sure. Uh, I think it. I was yeah. being told by my cousin over Christmas about something called math rock. Mm. So maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. math. Or can or meth. you tell, tell me more? Math. It's math rock. It's math for, rock. it's. I'm gonna get. Is that so, like hardcore? No, it's sort sums. of. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, someone doing algebra yeah. into the background of some heavy techno or something. Now math rock is sort of like complicated, sort of angular, kind of not not particular, not always particularly heavy, but. The kind of the kind of music that someone will go, oh yeah, no, I I really like their first album. Would would enjoy. Ah. I wish I include myself in that. Um, Sometimes roots. I look around, uh, it says roots in bands. I look around this room them. and I and I forget what we're here for and why we're doing it. And <laughs> yeah. we just do predictions and then everything else is just exactly. filler, right? Yes, yeah. the point. Exactly. Should we move on to the next game of the weekend? <laughs> it is Oil Classico. 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. So Saturday, 5.30, it is Manchester City against Newcastle at St. James's Park. Did anyone see how easy Manchester City beat Huddersfield? Did you watch that game? I sort of vaguely had it on the background while I was making a stew. It didn't really look like a football match. No, it looked like a training, a training session. Actually, it, remi- it actually looked like a social video that I saw this week where Gary O'Neill welcomed the under-9s team yes. of uh, Wolves to play against the first team. Newcastle, by the way, also, as we mentioned, cruised past Sunderland 3-0. One of the senior players that Manchester City featured, and it was a nice comeback for him, was Kevin De Bruyne, off the bench, got an assist, as if he's never been away. Apart from the fact that he's got a new floppy haircut, which I, which I quite like, just to differentiate this season's Kevin De Bruyne. Good to see him back. And do you think that the the rest of the Premier League are genuinely going, right, right, he is back. And then they're just going to go up on a on an upward trajectory, even though they've not fallen maybe as far as people would have expected them to because of a reasonably bad patch of form. Yeah, there's, there's a couple of things here. One is that I think the issues with Man City haven't actually been on the attacking side, which is obviously where you're getting the majority of Kevin De Bruyne's upside. I think that most of the issues have actually been defensive. And so bringing De Bruyne back, I think obviously it's going to make them better um, and it's going to be a, a fillip for them. But I also don't think that it's going to solve some of the issues that they've been having because I think they've been attacking, they've been generating fine numbers this this season. It's that they've been giving away silly goals. So you think about the game against Chelsea where they just kept letting them come back into the game, game against Spurs similarly, um, giving up giving up very few chances in the game but those chances being big enough for other teams to capitalize so um but I, yeah i've got a i've got a just a quote from the opta analyst who, who wrote about this very very topic this week and they said there's little question that man city are a better team with de bruyne but uh, actually it's not necessarily going to be a, be a significant needle mover in terms of the attacking play because since the start of last season city have played 33 league games with de bruyne and 24 without on average they've scored 2.5 goals with him and 2.4 without him conceded 0.8 goals with and 1.1 without and have won 2.3 points per game with and 2.2 without so it's not you know like with and without stats are always a little bit of a funny thing but it, it's not this doesn't suggest that we're, what we're going to start seeing is Man City just revitalised in, in many respects they're always good yeah so he just makes them slightly better so the weird thing that's happening I think is that this season they've not been good usually they're good with or without him now they've been not good and he's not been around so it's easy for you to draw the line of causality there but uh, yeah the big question I would would raise is like what's going to happen this season once he's back are they still going to have some of those maybe more defensive issues that they've had so Phil Foden has been wonderful to watch recently for for Manchester City. I guess there might be one school of thought that he won't be necessarily as as dominant in games or allowed to to dictate as much now with Kevin De Bruyne back. Or do you think that it will just be that they will complement each other perfectly well? I mean, they'll probably complement each other perfectly well as they kind of have done in the past. And I don't know whether they'll be on the pitch like together. 
a huge amount because the Guardiola obviously has this sort of collection of mm. forwards that he can you know rotate and he has the the luxury of being able to ease Kevin De Bruyne back in if if he if they were really in the soup then De Bruyne would be straight in there but yeah Foden and De Bruyne could play together in the middle Foden could play out on the right he he might not be quite as dominant as as he has been but you know I think wherever he plays across that kind of attacking line he'll be brilliant it's interesting that everyone's sort of thinking right Kevin De Bruyne is back um, Manchester City are going to go on an even better run and you look at their run of fixtures and after this game against Newcastle they only play one of the current top 10 in the Premier League until early March which is Chelsea so that's not even a tough game anyway so it'll be interesting to see if anyone can stop Man City and they've also got Haaland to come back as well just to sort of really rub everyone's faces in the dirt on that on the run that they've got they then get to march and they have a bit of a tricky march i mean it could be the case that they're 10 points clear by then or whatever but they get they have the manchester derby early march and then uh, they've got a, a fixture against copenhagen in the champions league but then it's liverpool brighton arsenal and then villa in the right at the beginning of uh, april as well so that's going to be the crunch run for them if they can be ahead by then and and get through those fixtures you think that they're going to be looking pretty formidable in terms of winning the league I've seen Jacob looking to one side and, and looking to John and looking to Nick and saying, why is he not asking me about Manchester City? Well, because I'm going to ask you all about Newcastle due to your previous incarnation as a Newcastle expert. For people who aren't familiar, you spent how long up there covering Newcastle? Nine, nine months or so. Nine months. Yeah. Are you glad to be back down south or do you miss it up there? I miss Newcastle a lot. Yeah. I miss the beach. It's not quite the same as kind of the, the Isle of Dogs isn't quite as pretty mm. as... Uh, the northeast coastline. In terms of how they're doing now, one win in the last five in the Premier League, they're struggling, aren't they? And it will be interesting to see if that Newcastle, Sunderland fixture and everything about it was a welcome distraction and now they can return back to the Premier League with a little bit of a spring in their step, having beaten their, their local rivals and, and it can have some impact going into this game or do you think that it's, it's, it's wrong to judge them taking on Man City? I think the thing with Newcastle is they're quite hard to benchmark as a side over the last couple of months because obviously the win over Sunderland, as cathartic as it was, was over a side who have much less talent than them. Mm. You're now judging them against one of the best few sides in the league and even if you take their results over the last month, they were bouncing from a run of incredibly tough games, Champions League fixtures, late knockout heartbreak, into suddenly games against weaker opposition with lots of injuries, which they were really, really disappointing in and did lose those games against Luton, Nottingham Forest. And it kind of feels like for about three or four months, they haven't almost had a run of what you would classify as almost ordinary fixtures with a semi-coherent squad where you actually get a chance to sit back and sort of be like, how good are they? They're sort of lurching from one moment to another, like a sitcom. I don't think they're by any means in any sorts of disaster. I think a slump is fair, but they almost need to get through this match, put in, I'd say, coherent performance, and then they do have a nicer run of fixtures, which they can start to attack with a squad, which after about three months is almost back to something resembling fitness. Can they hurt Man City in any way, do you think? Definitely. I mean, if you look back to the start of last season, which is the last time that Manchester City visited in the league, it was a three-all draw, draw in which they were 
ripped apart for large spells in attack and it was only some late Man City goals which pulled it back. Then the last match which they had at St James's Park was in the Carabao Cup earlier this season when Newcastle actually won. So there's been lots of doom and gloom from supporters who pointed out that Man City are Newcastle's uh, least favourite opposition in the Premier League uh, era if you go by points per game. But kind of, if you set that to one side, it's not necessarily an automatic loss. They only lost 1-0 earlier this season uh, at Man City in a game where they didn't play particularly well and had a chance to equalise late. So... Yes, there are ways they can hurt Newcastle, especially when you've got a player like Bruno Guimaraes, Alexander Ries at back fit and form which people like Anthony Gordon are in. Prediction from you, Nick. Uh, Manchester City, 3-0. 3-0. Okay, John. Um, Man City, 3-1. 3-1. And Jacob. 2-0 to Man City. 2-0 Man City. I'm going to go for a 2-1 win for Newcastle. Contrarian. Yep. Let's look through. It's going to look so good next week, though, if it comes (laughs) through, isn't it? it? That's the only reason I did it. This is a paid advertisement from Better Health Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. Right, so let's uh, go through the other three games. Burnley against Luton, 7.45 on Friday evening. It's a real relegation six-pointer. A win for Luton would put them seven points clear of Burnley. And I suppose out of the two teams, in terms of the the form, you would expect Luton to come out on, on top of this one? Or do you think Turf Moor on a Friday night in the sort of the depths of, of winter gives them... A bit more and a bit more of an advantage in this one. Well, I mean, it hasn't really given Burnley much of an advantage so far this season. No, one-one game. I mean, admittedly, that that win was five nil. Was it five nil against Sheffield yeah. United? Against the other relegation yeah. battler. But it, yeah, there hasn't been much sign that Turf Moor has given Burnley much of an advantage so far this season. The table for people who aren't familiar or they sort of disconnected from it over the FA Cup weekend. Sheffield United bottom with nine points, so they're seven points from safety. Burnley, second bottom with 11 points, so five points from safety. And then Luton, it's only one gap from 15 points to 16 and Everton in 17th. In terms of Luton, obviously they've been through the the, the mill, the issues with uh, Tom Lockyer, their, their captain and everything. And I think the way that Rob Edwards has conducted himself has, has endeared him to a lot, of, a lot of people. And the way that they've been playing has been effective to a certain extent. But Ross Barkley in there, 
he's been he's been quite special at times, hasn't he? Que jugador, as they say in, in in Spain. Yeah, it's been a fantastic season for him. It's been a joy to watch him, see him play a little bit deeper, pick the ball up, carry it through pressure, and 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 set Luton off on on attacks. But Luton just just a, a really nicely well rounded team, I think. Like it's easy to associate how good teams are with where they are in the league table. But I think if you take in the context of what Luton have done and, and what they've achieved and the way that they play, the, there's a reason why they are the top team out of the three promoted teams right now. That's because they're hard to beat. They know what they do. They have identity. They have a, a good coach as well. And yeah, I think everyone knows that if they continue on this kind of trajectory, yes, maybe they'll yo-yo up and down uh, in the next few years, but they're heading heading in the right direction. And I think that's what I think everyone would probably want to see them and, and probably considers them to be the team who maybe will escape relegation out of the out of the three promoted sides. Seeing as we've only got five games, I think we should do predictions on all of them. Burnley against Luton, Nick? I think Luton will win 2-1. Two, 2-1. One. Two, one. John? Uh, despite saying nice things about, about Luton, I do think that the interesting thing about Burnley is that when it comes to those games against the teams at the bottom, they, they probably actually do have the edge. So I'm going to go 2-1 to Burnley rather than the other way around. OK. And Jacob? One all, two headers... <laughs> Two celebrations where they sort of grab for shirts and shout a bit. <laughs> Fantastic. Make a note of that if that doesn't, if <laughs> yeah. the score's are 1 1, but those things don't happen, then <laughs> it, it, the yeah, prediction is not void. We also need yours. Your, oh, yeah. Your prediction. Nil uh, nil. Okay. The team that is just above the line at the moment is Everton, and they're on a bad run of form. Three defeats on the bounce. The, um, the Premier League punishment pep up that they got seems to have sort of dissipated a little bit and now they're taking on Aston Villa who are second in the table obviously they're your team Jacob just give us your your take on Everton at the minute are you are you worried again or not no if I introduce my friend Chris Context he will start to explain that Yes, it's been three losses in a row in the league. The first two came against two good sides against Tottenham Hotspur in Tottenham Hotspur and Manchester City, in which Everton played very well and had chances to at least get something out of the game. It was only the third against Wolves, which was a bit of a shocker and can be put down to an extent to, I think, tiredness, a stretch squad. They had very few legs in midfield. And then they bounced back and played all right in a 0-0 draw at Crystal Palace in the FA Cup. So I think that... Yes, they've lost three in the Roma League, but it's not a slump by any means. I, I quite like that. You're buoyant. Because before when we were speaking to you earlier on in this season, yes, we were talking about the fact that they were actually probably playing better than their results. But you were still a little bit fearful about where the season was heading. But that sort of uptick in form has given you longer term belief that they're going to be... They're going to be fine. Thank you very much. I think at the start of the year, although they were playing much better as a side, it was the fact that no goals were going in and you sort of worry, are they ever going to go in? Now there's actually a sustained body of work where they have started to get those returns coming back, proving there can be end product. Now, Jack Harrison and Dwight McNeil, who on both wings have been absolutely pivotal, both attacking and defensively, to how Everton play. Since they've come into even more form, Decore will also very important. It'll just start to really help, I think, the season going forward. I do think that, I mean, without the 10-point deduction, they'd be 11th or 12th in the league, and that's a reflection of how well they've played this season. Word on Aston Villa. You know, they're not going under the radar. They are second in the Premier League, um, and they're doing very, very well, and they have a chance of finishing in the Champions League places. At home, they haven't lost a game. 
Away from home, though, they have actually lost more games than anyone else in the top five. That's four games. They've won four, drawn two and, and lost four. It, is that something that they can rectify? And do you have any idea why it's, why it's the case? I think with Villa, they're obviously a fantastic team. They are, they're definitely a team who control the ball, uh, control, control games better when they're in favourable game states. What I mean by that is in situations where they go a goal up, they find it a lot easier to then control games and, and carry it through to the end. Very early on in the season, I think they lost maybe even the first four away fixtures. And in those four games that they played away, I think all of them, they conceded goals in the first six minutes of those games and then went on to, to lose them. So this is very much it. It's about can they get into a favourable game state? Can they get up in games early and then and then hold it together in order to in order to win them? I think that's that's where we're at with Villa. There's still maybe a little bit of a, a control issues there. They can be very variable between being good and, and, and bad. Right, prediction time, Everton against Aston Villa. Nick? Uh, Aston Villa to win narrowly, I think, 1-0. 1-0. And John? I'm going to be, this is going to be my controversial one. I'm going to say 2-1 to Everton. And Jacob? No, I fancy Everton as well. 1-0 to Everton. 1-0, and I'm going to go for a 4-1 win for Aston Villa. I don't think you're taking this as seriously <laughs> as you could. I'm do. going for broke. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> death or um, glory, like yeah, it. Quite right. It doesn't it, because although I've tried to put some sort of importance on it, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't. Matter. You're going to get them all nailed on, and then you're just going to kick us off future podcasts. Yeah. It's just going to be. It's you. just going to yeah. be me. Right. Final game: Chelsea against Fulham. Pleasant derby. Um, both teams played midweek. Chelsea lost against Middlesbrough, Fulham lost against Liverpool. But going into this one, it will be Fulham that will think, right, we've actually taken something from the game that we had uh, in midweek. Because Chelsea, as many of their fans have said, we can't lose to Middlesbrough if we want to be taken seriously as a, as a team. But then if you do, as John would have done, look at the underlying numbers for Chelsea. They actually had a really good XG. They should have finished many of the chances that they had. All of that said, do you think that Chelsea will be able to take any confidence into this game. I'll, I'll throw this one to, to John. I didn't watch the the uh, Carabao Cup game. They're I all over them. I haven't watched Chelsea very much recently because I don't find it fun to watch them. Okay. Um, so I don't. I, yeah, I don't want to tr try and make myself out to be an expert in, in that respect. But, it's, but it do, seem... do you not? Do you are you not fascinated to see what's happening? Yeah, I am. But on, on and on the one hand, I think everyone wants to be like, oh, what's going on with Chelsea? But we've been saying this for like over two seasons now. Mm. We've had a number of managers who've all come in. We've got a question coming up about what's happened to Caicedo. The, the common denominator here is is the ownership. Since the ownership came in at Chelsea, the way they've approached everything has just made everything chaotic. And there's not really been anything that can can really anchor the club. So for me, it's just a, it's a very moving uh, tapestry, I think, Chelsea at the moment. I mean, you mentioned Caicedo, £100 million. He's dropped from a very well-organised team in Brighton to one that is finding its feet still under the, the new American ownership. Have you got sympathy for his position? Yeah, very much so. And he's still, yeah, he's still very young. He un I mean, the other thing is that he only really had sort of 18, yeah. 18 very good months in the Premier League. And he's also gone from, as you say, one of the most functional clubs in the Premier League to the most dysfunctional. So to expect someone of his age, I can't remember how old he actually is, what, 22, something like that, to, to just kind of I mean, expect 
him to you know fix everything or or even just be very good is is you know quite a big ask i'm extremely not a Chelsea fan but I, I found them incredibly stressful even their routine wins are stressful like they were 3-0 up at Luton looked to be cruising then conceded two goals in the last 15 minutes and it was you know they were clinging on at the end so if it's stressful for me as not a Chelsea fan I can't imagine what it's like for Chelsea fans and then if it's stressful for Chelsea fans what it's like playing for them just one final word on this game I wanted to ask about Maurizio Pochettino when he was brought in the logic was he worked really well with young players when he was at, at Tottenham, developed them well. He's a maybe a he's got broader shoulders, he's got more experience, he'll be able to deal with any ego issues as well. But it doesn't seem to be clicking. Do you think he he just simply needs more time, almost like a whole season to to assess this? Or are you seeing a manager that doesn't quite fit and maybe that's what the the ownership will will think as well? I think some of it's having Pochettino having the ability to focus. And we think about the young players he brought through at Tottenham, the likes of Deli Ali. He was actually bringing Deli into a relatively settled veteran team, and he could really lavish a lot of attention on him and really foster that. And we saw that actually going back to Caicedo, how Brighton were really, really careful with that. They really noticed where they sent him on loan. They're very quite slow at bringing him through. Chelsea don't have that luxury. They've got kind of about 10 new young players who are all trying to give confidence, bring through both centre-backs, Mudric, Caicedo, Enzo Fernandes even to an extent. And so you don't have that stability or the ability to devote more of your coaching time than usual to individual players to get them to maximise their role in this system. I think that's the problem for him. He's almost... He's a good man manager without enough time to man manage. Yeah. Uh, let's have our final prediction of today, and it is Chelsea against Fulham on Saturday. John, I will start with you. Chelsea will put up three expected goals and lose 2 1 to Fulham. 2 1. Okay, so 1 2. Yes. Jacob. 2 0 to Chelsea and a knee slide from Cole Palmer. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Thank you. And Nick. 2 uh, 2. 2 2. And it is going to be 3-1 to Fulham. Okay, that is all we've got time for uh, on this episode of the Weekend Preview. Jacob, thank you very much. Have you enjoyed being back on the show? Very much so. Highlight of my Thursday. Uh, John? Yeah, good. I see we're cutting off the bit where another one of my predictions came right, but that's fine. Oh, I forgot to mention that, didn't I? And that was so good because if you didn't listen to the last episode... We were doing lots of predictions ahead of 2024 and we spoke about our breakthrough player of this year and John picked out someone and he only went and signed for Brighton. Tell who, us all about well, it. Well, he was going to do that anyway. I yeah, I know, awesome, but, but just make it bigger than yeah, it was. Yeah, Valentin Barco signed, signing yeah. for, for Brighton. Played a lot of time at, uh, as a left-back. People are touting him to be maybe the, the be one of the best full-backs that Argentina have ever produced, although that could be to do with the fact that Argentina hasn't produced a huge amount of uh, fullbacks, but more recently he's been playing a little bit further forward on the field. I'm going to I'm going to introduce a, a little phrase that I think you'll like. He's a, I, I call him a tight space player. He's uh, he's very good at um, mm. working within tight spaces. So I got um, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> you never you never be too, never too sure, can you? But um, 
that, that means as a fullback, you know, he can move inside. He'll be able to do the inverting stuff. But he's also uh, quite a, an exciting attacking option as well. He has been at Boca Juniors, um, quite an attacking option. And they give him a huge amount of freedom. So he likes to float around a lot. He is young and he is very raw and his decision making is sometimes a bit crazy but I think that's a lot because he's been given a lot of freedom to, to move around and I think moving in into the Brighton system will give him uh, a little bit more uh, structure to, to work within so it'll be really interesting to see how how he develops there. I'm glad I asked you I just imagine that if, you, if I hadn't have asked you where would you have put all that information that you yeah. just told us that's, it's like when a true. substitute comes on in a game and then after the game the uh, the strength and conditioning coach says, "Well, no, he's not. He's not expelled enough of his energy, so they have to do the, the sprinting up and down." That's what you would have done was, if you weren't. Yeah, I would have gone to... outside there. Yeah, yeah. I've got to get rid of my barcode energy. I'd have just have yeah. to tell someone in the street. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Brilliant. And your breakthrough star. Do you know who that was? Can you remember? Already forgotten. Brilliant. I can. It was Bakayoko. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, oh, yeah. There you go. So we will see. Yeah, who that's knows? still to be done. Yeah. Uh, Nick, thanks for being on the show. Oh, my absolute pleasure. Brilliant. Um, we will be back next week. Io is going to be back in the seat on Monday as usual. Just a reminder, if you're not an Athletic subscriber, the current deal is for the first 12 months. You only have to pay £2 or $2 a month for that first year. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash football pod. Thanks very much for listening and we'll see you next week. The Athletic.